the burlesque class, uh, Santine Bijou, and her um, uh, Santine means penny in French. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. So today I'm with Jamie and Holly from Fast Penny Spirits. Thank you both for making this happen. Um, before I let you talk, I'm going to say I received my package in the mail yesterday. We tried it. I have questions. I'm putting you on notice. But before I get to that, can you tell us a little about each other and we'll get started. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We're very excited to be here. Um, so my name is Jamie Hunt and I'm the founder of Fast Penny Spirits. Um, I started the company in August of 2017, started working on um, the uh, recipe. It took over two and a half uh, years to do. Um, there's about 46 ingredients in there, or botanicals in there. So um, there was a lot of work just balancing everything um, to make a product that we felt comfortable with. Um, my background is in um, digital marketing and digital transformation. So I did that for over 25 years. My passion was for Amaro. Uh, so I uh, did this at first as a side hustle. Um, met Holly. Um, and uh and we had lots of chats um together and i picked her brain quite a bit we'll hear about why and um, once holly introduces herself um and uh then last just this past year i went all in um full-time on fast penny spirits and we launched our product in july of 2020. okay yeah i am <laughs> <laughs> I am the co-founder of FastPenny. Um, my background is in startups and food. Um, this is my second distillery project, the first being Captive Spirits, where we made Big Gin. Uh, we sold that company to Hood River Distillers in 2016, um, and I continued to work for them for a couple of years and manage about 30 different markets around the U.S. Um, and build our, our brand from there. Um, before that I've worked in restaurants. I'm part owner of Sunny Hill up on, um, Sunset Hill with Jason Stoneburner, who has a few places here in Seattle, um, and continue to, you know, do food things. Um, I definitely have a background in media development, media literacy, civic journalism, um, and sustainable farming. Um, those are all passions of mine. Um, Huge spirit-driven person, beverage-driven person. Love seeing, uh, you know, working with different beverage and restaurant groups, building their brands and kind of embracing what they do best. Um, Jamie and I met in 2018 while I was still with Big Gin. And um, I started working on Fast Penny in June 2019. Um, and we've been doing that ever since. All right. So I guess, fast penny. I guess also my role in the company. That's important. Yeah. What else? What What is your role? <laughs> a lot of people 
really ask when they hear what my title is. Um, I'm the chief revenue officer, so I connect the customer experience to the sales to the uh, marketing experience. I drive all of our marketing, our social, and just our general outward appearance. Okay. How did you come up with the name Fast Penny? Because I think there's a story there. There's definitely a story there. And Jamie yeah. had the name. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the story. because okay. uh, It has to do with my background. Um, okay. So um, a few years ago, I uh, was in the DeLille Wine Bar in Kirkland. And just sipping on a little wine with some good friends. And um, one of my friends said she just joined this burlesque um, class and uh, asked if I would join with her. And I thought at the time it was exercise. I was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds like a fun way to exercise, to burn a few calories. Um, and then uh, when we got there, uh, our first class, we realized it's actually to create professional burlesque performers. And okay. so that was really scary um, and very different. And it sounded super fun. Um, and so we moved forward with it. And um my stage name was Veloce von Perla, and Veloce what is that? fast. Can you, can you say that Veloce, again in a little? Yeah, Veloce von Perla. And that translates um, to? Uh, well, the Veloce is fast. Okay. Um, and Perla is just pearls. Um, okay. And von, I just wanted to throw a German word in there just for fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, my, I did a duet oftentimes with a, another performer, the friend who talked me into uh, the burlesque class, uh, Santine Bijou, and her um, uh, Santine means penny in French. And oh, okay. so when we would perform, we were fast penny. And it was such a, an empowering experience that when it came time to um, start the distillery, start the company, that was just a natural place to go all right i love that story that's great that's really very cool it's <laughs> not not i've never heard somebody's origin story quite like that so that's cool. <laughs> very cool but then okay so reading some stuff you grew up kind of exposed to your family making wine in in bitters at home right and liqueurs yes liqueurs, mostly okay. yeah yeah absolutely yeah so i'm half italian uh, okay. And so I definitely grew up with the with the traditional, like really wonderful, big, delicious meals. Um, you know, I started drinking wine when I was very young, um, and uh, and then got into sipping on uh, different liqueurs that my family would make. Um, and it was it wasn't until probably my twenties uh, when I was traveling around Italy that I fell in love with amaro. So for those of us that aren't familiar with Amaro, can you give us a crash course? Well, Amaro uh, means bitter in Italian. Okay. It's basically a bittersweet liqueur. Um, so it has to have bitterness and sweetness to it to be an Amaro. But it also it doesn't have a lot of classification beyond that. It does need to have botanicals in it. Okay. Um, but um, it's an herbal liqueur. Um, but yeah, there's not a whole lot. There's like seven to nine, depending on who you talk to categories of Amaro, oh. uh, which aren't hugely descriptive. We're in the medium category. 
Um, and Tartufo, we could be in the Tartufo category because we use black truffle in our uh, Amaro. Um, but Amaro is made, I mean, Italy's best known for it, but Amaro is made all throughout Europe. Um, so, you know, Jägermeister is an Amaro from Germany. Okay. Um, is, Campari, yeah. is Campari be considered? Campari yes. is an aperitivo, and that would definitely include falls in really familiar with like chartreuse, which is from France and, okay. um, you know, some of the bigger ones. Jaeger's funny because it's definitely a very well-known that has taken its branding in multitude of directions. Right. So it. So this is in the same general family then as Jaeger, which. It is. It I, is. Yeah. And, and Fernet, okay. as a matter of fact, that's okay. another, that's another. It, so it's a very broad spectrum. You go from Campari to Burnett okay. and Jaeger in the middle. And Jaeger in the middle? <laughs> or closer to Burnett. <laughs> so you, you, you kind of touched on this when you very first started is you worked on the recipe for quite some time. And yep. there's a lot of ingredients in this. There is. <clears throat> How do I want to ask this question? Be direct, so we know what you're asking. Okay. Well, so were you <laughs> sitting there in your kitchen counter, you know, creating this stuff? I mean, were you like the mad scientist going a little pinch of this and something of this sounds interesting? So I, I, I did. I started in the kitchen. What I did is I, I ended up taking over 100 botanicals and just creating individual tinctures of them. Okay. So I could taste the individual flavors. I sweetened them and proofed them down to a, a a place where I could really taste them individually. Nice. Um, and the purpose for that was to be able to um, balance it in the blend, in the brew. Um, if you don't, like some flavors, um, some of the botanicals we use, you don't really know the flavors, or at least I didn't know what they would taste like individually. Some of them you definitely do because they're co more common. Um, and so I think that was important just um, as we were, you know, blending and um, creating the recipe, we really wanted a well-balanced recipe um, where you're not just picking out one particular thing. And with botanicals, it's pretty easy to get one that will, will overpower the others. And we just wanted a beautiful, complex, nuanced um, Amaro. So last night, my wife and I tried both and it's funny you say that because my wife's going i can't quite put my finger on this i mean there's there's and she's my palate is not that sophisticated so i'm just gonna go hey i like this or i don't like this and i'm if you ask me to explain why i'm gonna stumble all over my words my wife has a more sophisticated palate but it was funny because you say this but she's like i can't quite put my finger on this what what is this and it was it was very um i was surprised i mean not, yeah i was surprised they're they're amazing they were delicious i we have to talk about cocktails with them later on in this episode. Um, I have questions. I want to add in there. I think that that's one of the reasons that the category is so unique and interesting and embraced by the bar and restaurant industry and kind mm -hmm. of the back end industry is because people are really looking for something that makes them, um, kind of question and, and intrigues them a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's definitely, that's definitely yeah. why, you know, Fernet and Jaeger and Chartreuse, um, they have been the spirits of the industry, of industry workers, you know. 
um, and Amari in general has kind of triggered that. Interesting. Okay. So from a scaling standpoint, though, you're, you're creating small batches on, in your kitchen. You're not mm-hmm. creating those small batches now. How did no, the, how did the recipe well, scale? Was that easy to do or was it? So I went <laughs> from the kitchen and then I found a distillery that I could take a little tiny corner of and okay. I set up the lab there um, as I got further, further afield in the recipe um, making. And so I had a little lab set up and, um, I just started building the ingredients and building the recipe from there. Then, um, Holly and I met before I was um, completely finished and we added a few more botanicals um, to the mix. I connected you with the space. So she was strategically located. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually in the space um, already. Um, and then we ended up buying out, there was a distillery there. We ended up buying out that distillery uh, so we could keep the space. Okay. So, um, which isn't really important when you think about um, getting licensed um, for a distillery. You need to be in the space already um, before you sell any product. Um, and so that was really fortunate uh, that all that happened in the way it did. Um but yeah, so uh, then you work on scaling. So you work on different size batches and uh, tweaking the recipe as you go up to make sure that it's still that, you know, wonderful balanced recipe that you started off with. Um, and so we did that. And yeah, now we're, you know, we do full batches um, every time. So bigger batches, uh, still small in the world of distilling. Um, but, um, and we're working on a little R&D right now. So I'm back to the individual tincture stage. To trying to, yeah, back to the lab. <laughs> well, if, if I guess, I guess I can, I can ask and you can not answer, but how big is a batch now? What are you guys, is it? Yeah, well, they end up, being roughly around 640 liters um we work in liters and kilograms in our um distillery it's just easier um for us to calculate um okay so metric system and i go you know yeah okay sorry (laughs) it's a lot it's a lot okay So, so and then how long does the is this aged i mean what's the how long is the process So the process, um, what we do is we macerate the botanicals, um, we put them in brew bags, um, and we pop them into our neutral grape spirit, uh, which we get from um, California, Northern California. Um, They're a company that uh, fixes uh, wines from the West Coast wineries. So if uh, the alcohol, if it has too high alcohol content, they can pull out that alcohol content and get it down. If it has smoke taint or some other issue, they can remove that uh, for wow. the winery. Um, yeah, it's really cool um, um, process. Mm-hmm. We went there a few weeks ago to, to visit the facility and they do it with this cone technology um, and they do it without any use of chemicals, which is very cool. Wow. And so okay. it's this it's this bulk wine that would normally just get tossed out um, because you can't sell it like the winemakers don't want to sell it to the public. And instead, what they do is they take it and they distill it into this beautiful grape neutral spirit that we use. 
in our product. What do you, what is a neutral grape spirit? I mean, I just. Uh, well, ours, ours you comes didn't know in I was going to have no idea about that. Yeah, okay, so warning. Ours <laughs> comes in at 85% ethanol. Um, so 85% of it is ethanol. So okay. the other 15% is whatever's left in your wine. Okay. Uh, so the grape. So it's fairly neutral um, in flavor. There is a flavor that the 15% imparts. Um, we're fortunate that it is uh, the one we chose is very fresh and beautiful. Okay. Um, so it complements the other botanicals. And also when making a redistilled or a liqueur that's, that's macerated like this, mm -hmm. um, you do want a very neutral palate, hence the very mm -hmm. high alcohol neutral flavor. Okay. Okay. And then, so after we do that, uh, we stir it for um, a couple of weeks uh, it, in a stainless steel tank at this time. And then um, we, <laughs> Holly and I just got to do this yesterday. And then we, um, we take the brew bags out, we press them in a bladder press. So it's kind of like pressing a tea bag. You get the okay. last bits of really uh, delicious, stronger flavors um, out of that bag. And uh, then we redistribute it in the tanks and uh, we weigh them. And then we add our sugar syrups, which are fair trade, non-GMO sugar. Um, and uh, they're just sugar and water, uh, really. And then we add those and we add the filtered water into there. And we blend to the 30% uh, ABV that we have the alcohol by volume. Okay. So, um, and then once wow. it... Uh, we do that. We let it sit for a couple of days um, and we stir it each day and then uh, we filter it. We have a lenticular filter we use and um, the cartridges are pretty beefy. Um, they're, they go down to two micron. So anything um, over two micron, it will filter out. And it, just for reference, red blood cells are roughly around eight microns. Okay. Um, so it's pretty fine filtering. Um, once it's um, done being filtered, then we let it sit in stainless steel tanks for a month or so. Um, and then uh, we will bottle. We have a, a, a system now. Um, we bought two fooders, which are wooden casks, really large wooden casks. Um, ours ca uh, hold about 30 barrels okay. of, huh. of liquid. So about to, to go um, to non-metric, it's about 17,000 plus gallons wow. of alcohol in each of the fooders uh, that it can hold. Um, and so what we do is um, we pull a little of that aged, um, aged liquid and we put it with the fresh stainless liquid and we blend that and bottle. Oh. And what we're doing is we're doing more of a Solera method. So every time we do a batch, we drop a little more into the fooder it ages longer, it gets more consistent, the shoulders get softer on the alcohol. Um, so um, it's really ends up in, in a beautiful place um, when you blend it with the fresh as well. So it's a simple process, just 45 or so ingredients through all these steps really and easy. all these things. It's really <laughs> easy. Okay, my, my, my brain is swirling. Wow, I had no idea. That's, to me, that sounds very complex. You, you make it sound like, you know, well, we, this is what we do, but it sounds like there seems like a ton of moving parts to me. There are. I, I was fortunate to go to a few different Amaro. I'm sorry, what was that? 
<laughs> it's just the production. It's just the production. Yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate well. to go to uh, a few different Amaro distilleries in Italy and kind of see how they did things, which gave me a better sense of uh, the scale and process. Uh, but most of it was just trial by trial and error, um, just trying to go one step further to figure out like, what do we do? At one point we hired a food scientist because our liquid was um, a little bit cloudy and there's a little bit of sediment that you see. You'll see it in a lot of like kind of more organic spirits and also wine uh, will do that. Um, And so um, we challenged the food scientists to um, help us figure out how to clear that up without using any chemicals or additives. And, and he did it, uh, wow. which is great. So we have no additives or preservatives in our product at all. And the, the ingredients are uh, organic or well-crafted and sustainably, sustainably farmed as well. Right. You have a list of, I've got to find any of botanicals on your website here. Um, That's just a handful of them too. Right, but mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're saying where like you're getting your black truffles from. You're you're saying where you're getting your saffron from. You're you're very yep. clear on where you are obtaining the ingredients or so, some of the ingredients. Um, yeah. On this, and you're um, you're using a, a lot of companies that I'm familiar with, but they also have you know great um, values in sustainability and all of that. So that's 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 fa- fabulous. I love asking these questions because it just makes me look like I don't know anything, but why hops? Because I think of hops and I think of beer. So I I don't, that's just my very small view of the world, but how do hops play in here? So it is. So one thing about Amaro is it's very, very regional. So you look at the things that grow around you and you leverage those in your uh, liquor liqueur. And so what grows a lot around in Washington state, but hops. Um, right. And so we thought that would be a really fun ingredient um, to add to the mix. And it definitely is. It adds a little citrusy, bitter uh, note. And it's quite lovely with the other um, ingredients. Yeah, it's insanely rich bouquet. And I think mm-hmm. you're familiar with the IPA heads that exist right. in our area. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's for a reason, you know, the dry right. to the flavor and the profile is very, um, is craved. So, wow, there's just so many questions. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> so last night we tried it neat. Bounce mm-hmm. around a little bit. We tried it neat and... It was intriguing, very intriguing, both of them, both. Yeah. But then this morning, as I was kind of getting ready, I stumbled on your Instagram and there was a couple, and I'm a, co- I'm a huge coffee guy. I love coffee. And I saw a couple of recipes with coffee. Can you, one of you walk me through how we got to that? And are they as delicious in real life as they sound on your Instagram page? I mean, <laughs> it just sound awesome. For sure. One of our most popular cocktails was the Vietnamese coffee that we served. We had a pop-up of an incredible baker that was visiting during COVID. She was visiting her family here. And so we hosted kind of her first pop-up and her last. Um, But after the first one, she mentioned that people needed coffee. 
And we had done coffee cocktails before with Amaro. It's traditional. It's very common to have a little Amari in your espresso. Um, And especially the darker, the Americano versus the Americano Bianco, which is a little bit more of like aperitivo style. Okay. Um, So the Vietnamese coffee with a shot of the Americano in there just went gangbusters with a little sweet, a little bit of sweetener, a little bit of the sweetened condensed milk versus, you know, the super generous portion that a lot of Vietnamese coffees have in there just because the Americano already has some sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, partnering with some really amazing cold brew makers as well. Um, that aged rum from Sun Liquor uh, is great in cocktails. I love the orange in there. You know, mm. if you've ever had like a Sevilla coffee I have not. with I have. a little like orange rind in, in your mm. coffee, um, the orange mm. in the coffee and the cocoa nib and the Americano. Um, they all just play really nice off each other. Okay. Um, so then I see you were featured as the drink of the week just recently in a Bob magazine. Yes, they, that was very exciting. And they go on to talk about some things that you guys are doing. I think this is a great way of transitioning. If you haven't noticed, I kind of grind the gears and we're shifting. I just, you know, I don't, you know, we just, anyway, why don't you, so you kind of have a corporate philosophy you give back. And, and I think I'd love to hear more about that. And then somehow we'll circle back to the, the beverage, but the, you do a 3% give back program. Yeah, we um, built our business model to incorporate the give back. That's one of the reasons why I was excited to start a company is to be able to give back more than to the community. And it's one of the reasons why Holly joined is for that reason as well it was important to both of us to do more than just um create liquor um mm-hmm. for people not that that's not important not that um it's not fine to just do that but we wanted something more um and so um yeah that's been built in from the very beginning so in july when we launched um we chose a nonprofit partner um and we do um women at nonprofits that empower women community Mm -hmm. in our industry. So we've done everything from our first partner was um, Black Girl Ventures. Um, We did Emerge Washington, who helps to elect um, women into a political office. Uh, We did um, Jubilee Women's Center, which helps get women um, off their feet, uh, on their, onto their feet, not off their feet, but onto their feet and, and moving forward. Uh, in life. Um, and then in December, we did a special additional give back to the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, it was shortly after they got closed down again, and we just wanted to see what we could do um, for the industry that supports us as well. And so we did an extra 10% give back um, that month, um, which we knew it would be our best month. So we knew there'd be something more to give. And then, um, and then we did uh, Spice Bridge from Food Innovation Network, who helps um, women and a lot of refugee uh, women, but just women in uh, the South uh, kind of Tukwila area, um, learn how to um, grow and, and drive a, a thriving restaurant business. Um, and uh, we do 
our partner right now is uh, Washington Women's Foundation, and they really help support nonprofits that uh, really challenge and uh, try to fix the disparities in gender and racial uh, issues. So how long, so these partner, you know, these give back programs, how long, is it a month that you do each month or is it a quarter or? We started, yeah, we started at about a month each um, and then realized just because we're a growing company, it was important for us to stay on a little bit longer. So we moved to quarterly and that seems to be a good, a good fit for now. That's Um, great. Eventually we'll transition to more of a national reach. Um, we're working, talking to um, a couple groups right now that could be good partners for the remainder of the year as we continue to grow as a company and move into different markets. That's that's wonderful. And then um, let's you have we one of the other things I wanted to talk about was it was your tasting room, and at the time that we're recording this, it, it looks like we're allowed to gather in public again, and it, we're we're navigating our way. You know the. Anyway, your tasting room is open. So we, I say say that with a, yeah, (laughs) back in in November, we started, um, we started a pickup deck. Essentially, we had a big deck off of some of our rolling doors Mm -hmm. and we put together just kind of some makeshift pop-ups of artists and entrepreneurs and ran those through December. And so it kind of drove traffic to our pickup location. And it was in the depths of COVID at that point in the winter. Um, And we needed to drive our sales. It's challenging to launch an Amaro company in the middle of a pandemic with no one able to taste your product. (laughs) I, I'm laughing because there, well, there's a book on how to do this. Isn't there somewhere? Isn't there just a manual you could have picked up to dummy figure it out? A dummy right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you Distilleries for dummies. <laughs> um, so we we kind of created this this deck and the deck turned, you know, we ended up covering it because it was winter and w- reaching out to a lot of friends in the community. There's a ton of before we started recording, we were talking about a lot of the industry folks kind of started their own thing. Um, So we've been supporting a lot of that um, by giving them a space to come and run their own pop-up, whatever that might be. Um, So we have pop-ups. We're open Fridays from around four to eight and Saturdays from around 11 to two. And then we're looking at adding Thursday and Sunday and kind of Mm -hmm. expanding those hours just as things continue to open back up and, we're able to do that. So what is it? If somebody shows up to your tasting room, what can they expect? I mean, what are you, you know, walk us through. I show up on Saturday morning. Oh, that sounds bad, doesn't it? But um, no. I show up, Saturday, show up on Saturday morning. Yeah, <laughs> I show up Saturday no. morning to your tasting room. What can I expect? Smiling faces for one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what we'll do is we will, um, we love for people to taste the product. And so we'll talk about the product. We'll give people samples to taste, um, answer any questions, tell them about just kind of our story, like mm-hmm. how we came to be. I think it's really important for people to know what they're drinking and, and, um, who it's from and the care that went into it. Um, 
And so we do that. And then um, we always feature a cocktail um, at each of the um, each of the nights. And when we have a pop-up, we try to match it um, or pair it with a pop-up. So when Holly mentioned the Vietnamese coffee, the the person that we had um, popping up was a Vietnamese French baker. And so it was really fun to do that. We always have um, our, we have uh, two signature cocktails um, that are always available, which is the Bianca Negroni, which is our take on a white Negroni. And then the Americano Manhattan, which is our take on a black Manhattan. So there's usually always three options uh, okay. that you can choose from for cocktails. We also sell our bottles um, there. That's a really great place for us to sell directly to consumers. Um, and so, and we have some merchandise too. That's pretty fun. Um, that's available as well. So, yeah. Are you going to continue to do the pop-ups? Yeah, we are going to continue to do the pop-ups. Um, we have some really cool stuff kind of in the works and a lot of new people that are, that haven't popped up before. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are kind of in transition and, and happening. Um, I'll add to with the cocktails that we feature, we always post them on our Instagram just so people can see the recipe. I think, you know, what we've learned is Amaro education is really important in building our, our, our company. So a lot of people just aren't familiar like, like you. Right. Um, and even very savvy food people, you know, are, are just learning what the category is. And so if we can build cocktails in kind of a, you know, a limited ingredient and make them a little bit more approachable, but show mm-hmm. people that it's very, you know, doable, very flexible, that's, that's tend to help. Um, I had a conversation a while ago with a guy in the Seattle area who did a Kickstarter campaign for uh, his, his product was called cocktail cards. And it was a, um, he did a hundred cocktails and you, you know, so they're like uh, flashcards for cocktails, but he also uh, has a QR code. And so if mm-hmm. you click on the QR code, it's him making the drink. So you can see. And so for someone like myself, I'm looking at your Instagram and I'm looking I'm going to be able to make that. And so having that visual component was kind of a cool idea. I, I think mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to try some of these that you guys, um, especially the coffee ones. I'm going to be gathering some of the components that I don't have laying around the house. So I've got to, I got to do that. But the idea of coming to the tasting room and being able to maybe try something prepared correctly versus my well, my wife used to be a bartender, so I guess I'll let her do it because it, it'll come out better than if I do it. Um, I have troubles opening a bottle sometimes, so it's it's got to be simple for Scott. Um, but I just I love the idea that you've got this space and you're allowing people to pop up and do stuff to collaborate and sh- and help startups have a space to be exposed to. A different, slightly different market, and and to their own their own fans too. They can say, "Hey, we're here," so you get to, you know, meet their meet their mark their people too. So it's I, I love that. I think that's a really great collaborative way of doing things and being supportive of the community. So kudos on that. Thanks. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. Each of you. Mm-hmm. So Holly, 
Yes. What's your favorite cocktail? Um, I am pretty simple in my cocktail making. Okay. I love an Americano spritz with just soda water. Okay. And so, elaborate on that. So it's just your Americano with soda water and a big orange. It's just yeah. easy and refreshing. And I go heavier on the Americano when it's just the soda water. Okay. And I've during, I haven't had one lately, but I was loving just the 50, 50 Americano rye with just a dash of orange bitters and shaking that and serve, serve it up in a coop. It's just easy. So easy. And anyone can do it. I don't fuss a lot with cocktails at home. I don't. Okay. Okay. This is kind of, I've been in this long enough that I don't. <laughs> you just, you, you know what you like. It's simple and easy. Okay. So Jamie, how about you? What's your favorite? Uh, I don't have one favorite, but I, I tend to, um, I do like spritzes for sure. Those mm-hmm. are always a, a nice one, especially this time of year. Um, but I love like the Bianca Negroni. I love Negronis. Uh, okay. We have a Bianca Negroni that we do. There's a Building Bridges, which it uses our darker Amaro and uh, Coqui Rosa um, for the vermouth. But um, those are delicious. And then to just extend that a little bit further, the Boulevardier is really lovely. It's a Negroni, but with um, rye um, or bourbon. Mm. Um, added to it instead mm. of the gin. And so those are always delicious. Um, and then, you know, riffing off the Manhattan is always fun. And there's lots of ways you can do that. All right. Wow. How about food pairings? Yeah. The, <laughs> Just, sorry. There, really there are. No, no we're, we're working on more of those. It's funny you should ask. I mean, um, Holly did an, a nice pairing with Bianca and oysters. Um, yeah. Alice we, over at Fjord Lux out on Hood Canal, she came up with a really beautiful like jelly that she made with Bianca that she thinly sliced over oysters. It was just like over the top, decadent. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And there's like, uh, there's been bakers who have added, um, the Amaro and the Bianca to their cookies, to their cakes, to their donuts. Um, So we've had a lot of that. Um, We're working right now with a local company. We're going to be doing cheese pairings with our product. So we're working on that. So as we continue to grow, we'll look at more and more food pairings um, as part of our education and program. So people can learn how to use and and enjoy Amaro uh, in a wider variety of ways. I know that I know that San Fermo on Ballard Ave. Um, I need to go in there. I haven't I haven't sat down in there for a while, but I know they're using it in some food pairings as well. Can you elaborate? Can I put you on the spot with this cheese pairing? I mean, is this going to be something in the tasting room? Or? It could be. It could okay. be. We're just it, we're in early exploration stage right now um, okay. with this local company, and so um, we're just kind of testing it out and figuring out what makes the most sense. Um, at minimum, we'll probably do some sort of um, video uh, or some sort of recording um, so people can see how to pair, uh, what pairs well together. Um, but we're not that far down the line but we do want to one of our intentions is to do more video content 
So you were saying like how to make the cocktail. We'll probably yeah. have more of those videos, how to do it. Um, we just, you know, it's just a matter of, of time, <laughs> time right. and energy and, and a little bit of money too. <laughs> to do all I, that. I don't know. It, it, this may not be a question you're able to or willing to answer, but would is there going to be potentially another Americana variant coming out from you as well? I mean, will you be expand potentially expanding the product line? Uh, we that, will. We will be okay. expanding. We're going to be really thoughtful in the way that we expand. We're not looking to have a dozen SKUs um, in the next couple of years. We're, we're looking to keep it really focused. Um, so we are experimenting with a couple of things. And, you know, depending on how quickly all of it comes together, we'll release a new variant of uh, our Americano. Very cool. Um, so well. I just so there's just I feel like I've got nagging questions. <laughs> <clears throat> can you really can we do a really specific description of the Americana versus the Americana Blanca? I mean, for this is a, a not a visual thing, but one is very dark and brown looking, one is very citrusy and yellow looking. Yeah, so the Americano Bianca is a more, um, I think Holly had said this earlier, it's more of an aperitivo style. Mm -hmm. um, you'll taste like candied lemon, um, the saffron that we use in there comes through nicely. Some of the green um, bitter herbs come through. Um, mm -hmm. And then the uh, Americano uh, is a little more of a rosa style, so it's a little bit of a brownish red uh, color. Um, and it really pulls a lot of the black truffle that's in there, the cocoa nibs, the kind of the spicier uh, ingredients that we have in there, the earthiness, um, mm -hmm. and it uh, gets a little more bitter than the, um, than the Americano Bianca. Mm -hmm. Both are very approachable, though. So when I say bitter, it's a really well-balanced bitter. Yeah, yeah, I would not think, I did not think of it as bitter in that sense. I thought it was intriguing and complex i really um i really like the the for lack of a better word the viscosity of it there was it's a yeah. it's got some it has a really nice mouth feel okay yeah. The, yeah. The, the 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 finish lingers i think the americano finish is a little stronger because it does have that toasted sugar in there mm -hmm. you get a lot more of that black truffle in the americano you get a lot more of the cocoa nib like a lot more of the of the um cascara is something that we use which is you know, a bright hibiscus flavor um and i and i feel like that comes through a lot more in the americano where the the bianca you're going to get more of like that saffron and like jamie said the 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 lemon and i almost get like a salinic um preserved lemon um it definitely has a sweetness to it, but it's also, it has a really nice umami. Yeah, we use a lot of savory ingredients in um, our Amaro. So while it's sweet, you can taste some umami that definitely has umami in it. We also, I want to add, we get a lot of questions about the sweetness or, you know, how sweet is it? Mm -hmm. um, and so Jamie did some some work and figured out the bricks and the Bianca is very low 
um, bricks. And then the Americano is double that, which still isn't anywhere close to a lot of the traditional Campari Aperol style Amaris on the market. And the fact that it's not high fructose corn syrup and all these other things are also pretty unique. And I th- and you need to have that sugar in there to really stand up in cocktails. And so a lot of people don't realize that and they automatically want this low sugar drink. And we actually had one that was lower in sugar for the Americano and uh, we were happy sipping it. And then uh, we tried it in cocktails and it just fell away. Um, you, it made the cocktails muddy and, and you couldn't taste all the beautiful flavors in the Amaro. And so we just amped up the sugar just a little bit more. And um, now it's beautiful sipped on its own as well as stands up in cocktails. I always, well, not always, most episodes I ask this question and you kind of just maybe answered it, but I'll ask it again. Have you ever, when you were, when you're putting all this together and you've tried multiple variations and all of that, but did you ever maybe, well, I'll say with regards to a cocktail, think this would be great together. And this sounds like a great combination flavor profile. Like this would be exciting. And it just failed. Has there, have there been any of those? And because I always find it fascinating when, when we talk about that, because I think we learn from that failure, like, oh, you know, you, you've got some takeaway, a positive here, but would you be willing to share like a, a, a cocktail concept that just didn't make it? Well, even going back from like the original recipe concept, like Jamie and I had, when I came on full time at the beginning of 2019, Jamie had a a general recipe that she wanted to use. And then we had a lot of supporting flavor profiles to help our products really stand out. And there were some things that we really felt were going to be amazing that were not Mm -hmm. at all, like at all. Um, And kind of taking that concept into the cocktails. um, A lot of it has to do with the actual brand so some gins are delicious with Bianca. Give me an example of a gin that you think is, <laughs> what's, a, what's a gin that you think is delicious and what's a gin that you that doesn't go well? Uh, it is not, you're not saying it's a bad gin. You're just saying we it doesn't have a lot go of well. friends in the industry, so it's hard to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. The, gins, the gins that go well with it, um, you know, some of the lighter, more floral gins go really nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you are wanting that style of cocktail, right? Okay. Um, if you want more of a Negroni feature cocktail, we use big gin because you can still get that gin flavor. Okay. Um, whereas the more delicate botanical forward gins, um, just really mesh well with the Bianca and some and and highlight the Bianca. Okay. Yeah. One of the one of the things when we we're talking about ingredients that didn't go well, we there was a few that I thought, oh, this I love the flavor of this. Um, that was like star anise, and the problem with that is it just took over the whole show. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so all these other botanicals that we had in there weren't showing up when when we put that in there. And part of that has to do with just the botanical blend we already had in there. 
because um, you can certainly balance that somehow. But it, we had too many other licorice flavors in there, so it just really made it stand out. And we did, we weren't trying to create a licorice amaro, um, although that would be delicious. Um, but um, and then like uh, Holly and I fell in love with this ingredient called Molab. I might be saying that wrong, but it's like a cherry pit. And that doesn't sound immediately um, appetizing, but um, when you put it in alcohol, it pulls out this like amaretto-ish, um, really floral scented, beautifully scented um, uh, notes. And we were super excited about that one. We're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. It's going to give it another, another um, bit on the nose, a little more complexity. And we put it in there and it tasted like, like bubble bath. Like it was so soapy and so bad um, that we were like, "Oh no, this is this is definitely we can't even try to balance this. This is not how good. how did you go from an amaretto flavoring to bubble bath? I mean, that's a uh, what on earth happened? You know, that is for science to tell us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that you know the way that ingredients play with each other so the way that we built i mean we literally build the recipe um we add different ingredients and we finally like we built it to about 46 ingredients and wow. and it's like playing with individuals and seeing how they play with others uh, how they meld together or don't meld together <laughs> right. what it pulls from the rest of the botanicals you can add one and it'll pull some other stuff from the liquid that you weren't expecting sometimes. That's and really that, kind of interesting. That was something that we saw a lot in the gin world too, was, you know, a lot of the grain to glass distilleries that are infusing their neutral spirit that still has a lot of like funky grain flavor. They're infusing it with botanicals and those botanicals would react with that grain flavor and develop that soapy, like sudsy flavor. And you'll get that from a lot of um, like people that are early in their recipe development, but they need to release something because they need some revenue streams created. Right. Um, and you'll, you'll see that in, in a lot of early smaller craft distilleries. So let's, if you don't, let's, let's talk COVID, new business, business model adapt, you know, you had to adapt or to survive and all that. I'm sure it went perfectly smoothly. There was no problems. Everything, everything was just, you know, it's no, not at all. But you guys have kind of the distribution kind of, well, you lost kind of your, you know, bars were not open, so they weren't buying liquor, you moved to kind of consumer-based model, right? Yeah. So our original plan, um, we were going to get distribution. We were going to sell into the restaurants and bars and then um, sell into retail um, that way. And when the pandemic hit, Holly and I looked at each other and we're like, well, that's out the door. Um, because in a, in that situation, um, it's, it's already, you know, it's already a, um, challenge to bring on a new brand as a distributor. 
if mm-hmm. you're bringing on a new brand and you have no real outlet, like the restaurants and bars to really taste people and get people connected to that brand, then it's really difficult. So the distributors were not interested for the most part in bringing on new brands. And so we had to look at, we had a couple here in Washington that were, and uh, but it just wasn't the right fit for us at the time. And so we decided to self-distribute um, in Washington state. Um, and then like we had a distributor that was interested in us really early on um, in another state, which we uh, just now got the first order from almost a year later. Um, and, and that was due to the pandemic, right? They weren't ready to bring on a new brand while so many restaurants and bars were closed. And, and their like own staffing, like a lot of the distributors hold with staffing like everyone else when they had to lay everyone off at the beginning of the pandemic, including delivery drivers and, you know, admin that are placing those POs and, you know, it's, it's more, it's even more complicated than that, where now they're finally like re-upping and able to like push some of these initiatives through, including bringing on new brands. And I think one thing that um, we hear a lot is, well, in the pandemic, everyone's drinking alcohol. They're drinking lots of alcohol. You must be doing well. And um, the thing is, is that what happened is most people were drinking the alcohol they knew, the bigger brands. So the bigger brands did really well. The smaller brands who didn't have that outlet to like for people just to try it before they buy it mm-hmm. um, really didn't really were uh, um, hurting. Um, most of them, I, I won't say all of them because some managed to like pull through. But if you didn't have a lot of retail, um, placements and people didn't already know your product, it was really tough to get the, you know, the buyers, uh, the consumers to buy it. And so that's one of the reasons we decided to open up our tasting deck um, probably two years earlier than we had originally planned was to give an outlet for consumers, at least in the Seattle area, to be able to taste mm-hmm. uh, our product before they bought it. Um, and so that really helped us. And we went from thinking we we're getting distribution to uh, talking to FedEx and, and UPS about shipping um, and talking to a local box company about, you know, getting boxes made for shipping for our product. And so it became a whole different, whole different thing. And we became um, shippers rather than <laughs> just, you know, packing up a pallet and sending it to the distributor. And pop-up drivers. <laughs> and pop-up driver. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it's been great. You know, I don't want to totally complain because I think, you know, you alluded to this point. It's given us a really strong channel to use in addition to the other channels that are now starting to open up for us. And we've learned so much from being direct with restaurants and bars and retailers and our consumers. So that is, you know, that has been really wonderful. And the support we've received has been fantastic. Yeah. And shipping alcohol has no complexities to it. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, no. I mean, yeah. I, I kept getting, I kept getting alerts from UPS saying you must be at the door and you must sign to prove you're 21. And which has nothing to do with you guys directly, but I thought it was really funny because my doorbell rings and I go to the door and the UPS driver's driving away. Yeah. Oh yeah. They <laughs> don't like, like to wait. 
They don't like to wait. <laughs> and I'm like, long. no, it was only a doorbell <laughs> rang. I went to the front door. I mean, he would have waited less than 30 seconds, right? And yeah. he was already he was already in the truck and gone. And it was just like, yeah. but, you know, but all day long, I'm, you must sign. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll sign. It's okay. I get it. You're you're sending. I'm I'm accepting alcohol. You don't want some 18 year old to be getting it at the doorstep. Um, probably because they deliver to us regularly, and I'm a big guy with a gray beard. He goes, yeah, he's old enough. But um, <clears throat> can you ship out of Washington? Can like if somebody lived in in Oregon, can you deliver if they order from your website? Can you ship to them? We can ship to certain states that allow us to ship. Oregon okay. is not one of them. Oregon's a state controlled state. Yeah. We do. Um, we are available through special order in Oregon. So, okay. um, and we're in most of the Portland liquor stores right now, okay. um, which is lovely. And starting as they start to open up restaurants and bars more, starting to get in there as well. It's just so complicated. The, how's the consumer? gonna know that you know they live in a state you can't ship to or or you know yeah. whatever state that might be so all right so when you're not perfecting this and when you're not navigating business what do you guys like to do for entertainment and fun and they have blank looks on their faces that's right? a great Bye. question because you know this past year it's been like get these things keep keep them open and make them work and homeschool your children and don't see anyone. Um, so <laughs> that's been really interesting. I love fishing. I like okay. on the boat. Um, I started fly fishing during the pandemic, which is something I had not done much of before. Um, I get out to the mountains a lot and forage and camp. Okay. Um, and I get to go do some of that this summer, which is very exciting. So where, where have you been able to go fly fishing? We went out on the peninsula a few different places. Uh, my parents live on the Grand Ronde River down in the Wallowa Mountains. Okay. And so that is one of the best places in the world, awesome. I'm told. Okay. But okay. We, I've been going there and, for three years. <laughs> and, uh, and I love to travel, so I'm excited to start doing that again. Um, that's one of the things that I always did. So I was a digital consultant for most of my life, and there's lots of travel for work, um, which is can be exhausting, but it's also kind of cool. I always sought out like cool restaurants and bars and um, different attractions, so that was always fun. Um, and then uh, cooking is generally something I love to do, although because of everything that's happened with the pandemic, it's become more of a chore. So I'm excited for restaurants and bars to open so I can regain the joy of cooking um, okay. again. Um, and um, I, I love to, to hike. I don't get to do that that much, but um i'm looking forward to doing some hikes this summer and um also trying to catch the end of the black truffle season with my dog who we're training to be a truffle dog um so hoping to get out and be able to do a little foraging with him okay so uh, you, before you all just... the truffles are gone okay so <laughs> i i Truffles, I don't think about. Okay, so I don't equate Washington State or this area with truffles. I don't. I when I think of truffles, I, I have this old notion of a truffle pig, and now you're telling me you have a dog. So you please elaborate a little bit more. How do you train your dog 
to find truffles? Well, um, for me, I hired um, Alana from Truffle Dog Co. Um, she's also the person that, uh, or that company, her company um, supplies Fast Penny with all of our truffles. Okay. Um, but you you start with like some scent, so you get either the real truffle or something that uh, an oil that really smells like the real truffle. And we started indoors. Um, and you get them used to smelling it. You reward them. It's a whole process. And then okay. you start to hide them. Like we put them in little tins that have holes in it. And then we hid them around the house and had them find it and show us. And then you go outdoors into your yard because there's a lot of distractions that happen. So we started in our yard first. We did some of that. And then we went to a local park again a challenge for the dog. They have such, we have a Lagoto Romagnolo, which is a, the Italian truffle hunting dog. Okay. Um, and so they have such, and most dogs do, um, have such great olfactory senses that they get distracted easily. And so it's really trying to refocus them, rewarding them every time they smell the truffle, find the truffle, point out the truffle. And then after that, after enough of that kind of different environments outside, then you get to go into the real forest and hunt. So where are you? Is there, are there places in Washington to find truffles? Yes. Yeah. We Without have a lot giving of black... away your secret truffle things, <laughs> you know, because I know you're not going to disclose that. But where? Um, you can go a, a lot of times like an hour north of here or so. You can find forests. Um, you can find forests. It's mostly Western Washington. It might be all Western Washington. I'm not an expert on this. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, Western Washington, Oregon um, is also great uh, for truffle hunting. They tend to have more of the white truffles. We tend to have more of the black truffles. They're all called Oregon truffles, the ones that we have that are culinary that we can eat. Um, hmm. And um, you know, if you ask Alana, she jokes that they just got to naming it before us. <laughs> so it's not called the Washington truffle because we didn't name it first. Um, but yeah, they're they're around here and they're pretty plentiful. Um, really? Yeah. I had no idea. I just okay. As in most episodes, I'm kind of I always the most fun about the show for me is I get to talk to people who know things that about stuff I don't know and I learn. So this is I, I learn every episode. This is fun. It's, I had no idea. Cool. So if no, you uh, have a forest that has Douglas fir between 15 and 60 years of age, you have a better shot at finding black truffle there. So a little hint. Okay. So we'll wrap this up. I'd like you guys to tell our audience where they can find out more about you and any other things. What question didn't I ask? Is there something I didn't ask that we wanted to talk about? Do you want to talk more about sustainability? We didn't we yes, touch on that briefly. Let's do it. Um, You're right. Yeah, no, I think uh, sustainability is really important to both Holly and I. Um, and we think about it in sourcing our botanicals, um, looking for sustainable farms, um, sourcing our neutral. We use an upcycled uh, grape that we discussed earlier um, that's very sustainable. Um, we also uh, use recycled glass um, for our bottles. We use reclaimed cork for our bar tops that are in our bottles. 
Um, We think about uh, the sustainability in a lot of little decisions. There's things that are really difficult for us to do that we would like to do in the future because we're small um, Mm -hmm. and the economies of scale just aren't there. But yeah, we're always looking to improve our our footprint and we are working on um, getting uh, B Corp certification currently. So in the midst of that as well to show our commitment to um, the social community and sustainability of, of our world. That's, that's one wonderful. One of the cool things about B Corp is you, is you grow as a company and you continually improve your footprint mm-hmm. for those who don't know that. Um, so it kind of holds you accountable as a business as you grow and as you, as you create new, um, you know, products and, footprint. That's that's awesome. Okay. That's congratulations and kudos to both of you for doing that. Anything else? I feel like I'm missing something and this whole episode, I felt like I'm missing something. So I apologize, but anything else? We just like to encourage people to ask, you know, ask about our tomorrow places you go. If you have favorite bars or restaurants or places to buy spirit, you know, ask them to support more women-owned, women-run, BIPOC, um, you know, spirits brands, they're really rare. Um, same within the wine world and the beer world and the beverage world in general. And it's growing, um, but requests from customers are the best way to get those placements. Okay. And where can people find you online? And your, in your location in Seattle, too. Uh, we're at, at fastpenny.com. Uh, fastpenny spirits yeah dot com is our <laughs> website and then at fastpenny spirits on instagram and that actually links out to kind of what we're up to and where we're located in seattle and all that um okay. and we are on the queen anne side of the ballard bridge um down in the shipyard there there's okay. transportation ships and um, we're nestled next to Big Gin and Rooftop Brewing is very nearby. So we're in a yeah. nice magic area. You just, ha- you just have to go through the gates uh, into the shipyard to find us. I think that stumps a few people. They're like, can I drive in there? Yes, you can. That's where we are. Out of town visitors, we have loads of free parking. We do. And we're also connected up to bike trails. So biking is awesome. Okay. Well, thank you both for taking the time this morning to record this. And I am looking forward to trying some cocktails in my near future. Wonderful. Thanks for having thank us thank again. Thanks for having us. It was great. fun. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.